The creature from Jekyll Island has fully co-opted federal and state governments. The powers that be want nothing more than to lord that power over you, the citizens. And yet there are some in government who are not narcissistic sociopaths. They seek to make real change for the people who vote for them. Imagine that. Today, we welcome Maine State Senator Eric Brakey to the show to discuss the war in Ukraine, the current banking crisis, and how he's working to represent the people by keeping up to date with the world of crypto. We promise that it won't be an achy breaky show, just a little breaky. This is episode number 676 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Who's bad? Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. We are the blockchain blockheads, the crypto clowns, the nifty nerds, the DeFi, DoFi, the metaverse morons, whatever you want to call us. We are completely self-deprecating and we don't mind. We're glad you're here. I'm Joel Com, and that, that guy right over there is Travis Wright. Yeah, notice you did not say we are the CBDC dickheads because we're not. <laughs> We're not that. We don't like those CBDCs. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, we are not that. That that, that would be the uh, the financial institutions and the people in government that we are going to be speaking about this very day. Financial I mean. insta stooges. <laughs> That's good too. Yeah. I like that. You're on a roll. What else you got? I don't know. I'm on something. I'm on cinnamon what, rolls. What do you got for Z? The zero knowledge proof. Zealots. <laughs> <laughs> zealots we're the zealots of z snarks thanks for uh for joining us we think you're going to enjoy this episode we've got some straight talk from a state senator all the way from maine his name's eric Brakey. i just introduced him to him to you and guess what i'm probably going to introduce him to you again right after this little bumper you know, there are those who say that none of the politicians in government are to be trusted. And I would say that might apply to a lot of them. But at the same time, there are many good people that are trying to make a positive difference on both the federal and a state and also a local level. And we are privileged to have with us today one of those gentlemen intending to make a difference who is unafraid to speak his mind on the shenanigans taking place in the world today and also quite knowledgeable about this Bitcoin thing. His name is Senator Eric Brakey, state senator from the lovely state of Maine. Eric, Senator, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I, I, go ahead and give us just a Reader's Digest version of your bio. Real real brief. Tell us what you've done, where you've been. Oh, how to, how to give you the short version. Um, I started as a grassroots Ron Paul guy uh, back in 2011. Um, I joined the Ron Paul campaign. I was a field staffer here in Maine. We took over the state Republican Party. Uh, I got elected to the state Senate two years later, served two terms, passed some good laws like constitutional carry and uh, expanding medical cannabis and trying to really you know, fight for 
individual liberties everywhere I could. I um, went on to be the Republican candidate for the United States Senate in 2018. I ran against U.S. Senator Angus King. Recently, there's been uh, Twitter files revelations that have come out that his campaign uh, tried to get my content suppressed and reported a bunch of my supporters to Twitter for monitoring. Mm. Um, so anyway, that there's that chapter of my life. Um, but recently, after um, after a failed bid for Congress and going uh, and working for some time with Young Americans for Liberty, uh, I came back home to I uh, came back home to Maine, ran for my old state Senate seat that I left uh, in 2018. And uh, I'm serving my third non-consecutive term in the state Senate right now. They were like, we missed you. Well, welcome back, Cotter. We're, we're glad to have you here and stuff. They, um, uh, <laughs> they missed me so much. They spent a lot of money to keep me to try to keep me away. I didn't know that you had uh, worked on the Paul campaigns. We had uh, Dr. Paul on the show. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not sure what the date is. It's been several years ago, though that uh that he was here with us and um boy he he sure is inspiring yeah he 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 is uh i guess to to use a monitor a monetary pun he he's the gold standard mm. uh, he is the model mm. i think against which every modern day uh office holder should be measured against that's awesome i gotta ask this because i got i got a joke <clears throat> that's just been festering and I'm just curious, how many Billy Ray Cyrus comments have you gotten over the years? Is your Eric Brakey, don't break my heart, my Eric Brakey heart. I just swear you've had to have got that a bunch. Yeah, I've been hearing it since I was five years old about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I hated it. Uh, now you've brought back all my traumatic memories. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> Thanks, hey, we'll help uh, you release it. We'll help you release that out of there. No, my, I don't my, know. Maybe maybe you can get uh, you know Billy Ray to you know endorse yeah. you on your next bid for Congress. Oh my God, would that not be full circle hilarity? <laughs> I, maybe, uh, but I did. I did. Um, I uh, I have occasionally used because half the battle in politics when you're running for office, right, is getting people to remember your name. Mm-hmm. So it has been a pretty uh, helpful. Um, you know, where I've got a unique last name, it's a, it's a helpful thing to use. So I did in my first campaign these radio ads. Eric Breaky, one candidate who won't break your achy breaky heart or your achy breaky wallet. And oh, it's nice. easy. Perfect. But people remember your name. Oh, that was good. That was actually one of my points on that. It was like, it's a nice mnemonic sort of a, a, a thing there. And you know what? We do share love of Ron Paul, man. Big fan of that guy. I remember he, you know, so I became aware of the Federal Reserve system and how it was broken way before Ron Paul, but Ron Paul was the first guy that I ever heard saying the things that I was thinking, right? And I was like, Mm. wait a second, the Federal Reserve has never been audited. It's printing money out of thin air. And, you know, when when Bitcoin came around, I think, wasn't he running? Ron was running in 2008 for president. I know he was running in 2012 for president, but man, what a great guy. What a great mind. And I'm so glad that there's people out here here like him that have inspired people like you to keep the torch going. You know, I, I always remember when Ron Paul finished in 2012, you know, he his last presidential campaign. And he also, you know, announced in that that it was going to be his last term in Congress. If he didn't win the presidency, he was going home and enjoying you know, the rest of his life. And so many you know, young people and activists who had been part of the Ron Paul effort 
in that presidential cycle, Ron would always say people would come to him and say, what do I do? You know, what what can I do? I want to kind of keep furthering the 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 cause of freedom and liberty. Like, what should I do? Tell me what to do. And of course, you know, Ron Paul is not a central planner. And so he told them, I don't know. You got to figure that out for yourself. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, in some ways, I think that's part of the brilliance is that, you know, after that was done, he, he had educated so many people, particularly younger Americans, about the dangers of central banking, about the war machine, about the true nature of our government, and kind of helps people see through the propaganda narratives that are used to kind of shield us from seeing the real power <laughs> relationship between us and our government. You and know, it, it, it's funny, Eric, because I, I, I was a young adult in the 80s. And yeah. I remember, you know, I would listen to to Rush Limbaugh. There were two politicians on opposite uh, philosophical sides of the aisle, not necessarily married to a party, but they were like seen as the extremists. And on the one side was Ron Paul. And on the other side, the guy that was kind of laughed at and is, uh, marginalized was Bernie Sanders. And it's interesting how they both have kind of been canonized on their side as, yeah. you know, the the voice of wisdom to listen to. They certainly both there are certainly interesting parallels to be drawn. Right. You hear you have these these much older statesmen who in the era of identity politics where we're told, oh, in order to get the black vote, you got to run a black candidate. Or to get the young vote, you got to run a young candidate. Or it's just like you got to check off these very shallow boxes that have nothing to do with ideas. And here are these very ideological elder, you know, elders, you know, in their uh, 70s and and, uh, 80s now who who reached the young people in a way that no none of these corporate candidates could. Now, I will say, though, because I, I think some of the comparisons end there, because, you know, I always think, you know, one of the great things about Ron Paul is that he would tell his supporters, go read books, go read, you know, um, Bastiat and go read Rothbard and go read The Road to Serfdom and go read these ideas. Whereas with um, uh, so many other Bernie, um, yeah, Bernie, Bernie just tells you, you already know everything you need to know. Rich people are bad and go take their money and that'll fix all of our problems. There's no really deeper exploration there. It's it's definitely it's definitely wild, and now it seems like things have become more divisive than ever, right? And I want to ask your opinion on this because I mean, what we see now on the news, quote unquote news, mainstream media is not always what is accurate, right? And so I want to ask about this because my thought is is whenever Reagan repealed the fairness doctrine, that it's because before that point. Congress or anybody who was on the media, like Walter Cronkite and these other guys and Edward Moreau, you know, they bring somebody on. They would say, "Okay, now here's this point. Now here's this point. And here's both of the points. And now make your own decision. Once the fairness doctrine went away, it was like, "Okay, well, you can be as biased as you want. There's no repercussions of that. And to me, that's probably led to a lot of the divisiveness because people just lean on one side and they they either get such a strong filter bubble mm-hmm. with technology filtering other information away so that in some cases they never even hear an opposing opinion. And when they do, they freak mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I, I wonder, though, you know, with the fairness doctrine, you know, 
the idea can can government can government ever really impose fairness you know and there's always i think you know some of the presuppositions of the fairness doctrine is that there are only two sides to any story mm-hmm. and of course the establishment often gets to pick what are the two sides that we get to hear from i think that this is one of the kind of the great revelations of um realizing how um people you know narratives narratives can be controlled you know there's there's and i think in the era of cable news at least since i came up since the bush administration i think saw this very much when when a regime tries to impose a single narrative on the people and says this is the official party line everyone has to believe it and if you don't believe it you're off off to the gulags with you well there's always something that's like in the human spirit that's going to resist against that and say like you know, maybe I'll parrot it like where I have to, but I'm grumbling. I'm saying this is bullshit and yada, yada. But if you can put out two competing narratives that both lead to the same place, they both lead to war and central banking and uh, government control of our lives. But we call one the red narrative and one the blue narrative. Then you've given people an illusion that there's actual dialogue taking place in political discourse when really it's 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 a wrestling match. It's as fake as the WW, uh, as the WW, is it WWE? WWE. No, that's real, man. Wrestling is yeah. real, dude. Those those aren't actors. That that's some real stuff. Uh, I think we might be back to WWF now. They keep changing it back and forth. The worldwide <laughs> entertainment to the wrestle. I don't even know what it is now. It's WrestleMania. Burr. Let me tell you, you know, something, brother. This better be a damn good question you got, Joel Com. It's like a uniparty, and we know that, you know, look, it crony is. capitalism has been horrible for the people. We understand and have here, Travis and I have been awake for decades now. We've watched, you know, ever since 9-11, how the spin in the media is yeah. like, hey, what's really going on here? I remember in the 1970s, my dad subscribed to National Geographic, and there was this threatening article that everybody in the news was talking about how the Ice Age was coming. And then in the 80s, it was global warming. And I thought, wait a second, something, something weird's going on here. Right. And uh, I listened to a little bit of your, the speech that you gave before the uh, the, the state Senate, um, basically standing up against the war machine. And was it, uh, it was George Bush that said, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. Fool me twice. Don't you can't fool me twice. Don't um, get fooled again. Yeah. So you um, you stood up there and, and basically sum up for us. This is an 18-minute talk. What is your position on the our participation and yeah. funding of this war between uh, Russia and Ukraine? How to sum it up. Um, the biggest thing that I objected to in this resolution that was brought to the main Senate was this narrative that the current goings-on in Ukraine and the Russian the Russian invasion of Ukraine was unprovoked. And the reason I'm so bothered by that claim is one, I've been following what's been going on in Ukraine for the last eight years. And so I think anyone who's seriously been paying attention knows it was not unprovoked. When you look at what happened out in plain sight with the the, the coup of the, the democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2014 and are funneling weapons, our our government's funneling weapons into a civil war on Russia's border. There have been so many provocations. Of course, that doesn't justify, you know, an invasion, right? If you push someone and they stab you, it was wrong for them to stab you and to escalate in that way, but it also wasn't unprovoked. 
I suppose what's so personal about this to me is I feel like we're watching what played out in the aftermath of 9-11 happen all over again. You know, I, I don't know for you what it was, the first big lie that you had swallowed and came to realize, you know, to have that lie shattered. You can never quite look at the power structure in our in our government the same way again once once you've seen it. And for me, it was when I was a young person, when I was in high school, I made phone calls to help George W. Bush get reelected to a second term. I believed every single thing they told us about about um, why we had to invade Iraq, why we had to go into these countries. I thought that we were spreading democracy. I thought that we were, you know, liberating people and come to find out, you know, you just you look at Iraq like you have a quarter million people dead now. And there's never been any any just any justification any um, any justification for that. It's made everything worse. Weapons of mass destruction. Absolutely. That's why. The we- <laughs> weapons of right. mass destruction. Right. But that was so that was a lie. But e- but even the whole the whole precipitating event that led us into the Middle East. Of course, the nine the nine eleven twin tower attacks. We were told that we, the reason we were attacked it was an unprovoked attack. And it happened because Britney Spears wouldn't wear a burqa and they just hated us for our freedom. And to me, as a young person, you know, in I was in the eighth grade at the time who didn't know anything about our our, our government's, you know, propping up dictatorships in the Middle East, running sanctions and bombing campaigns against people that led to the, you know, the deaths. I mean, just look at the sanctions in Iraq, you know, uh, which by some accounts led to the deaths of a, of a half million Iraqi children. Like, I didn't know that that was going on. I didn't know that was being done in our name. And to find out that it was and that it resulted in this blowback on American soil and then our leaders lie to us on top of it and tell us that, well, they just hate us because we're free. Like, it's the exact same thing playing out in Russia. They've been poking a bear for years trying to get this rise out of Russia. They finally get it, and then they act all innocent like they had nothing to do with it. But anyone who's been paying attention uh, who's honest can see that our government has been doing things halfway around the world that they shouldn't have been doing. And, and th- their, their fingerprints all, are all over this. And if they yeah. really wanted peace in Ukraine, they'd be at the negotiating table. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be blocking Ukraine from engaging in diplomacy. I've actually been to Ukraine seven times. Uh, I went to Ukraine for the first time, I think in 2017, and I went there through 2021, I think was the last time that I've been there. Amazing country, beautiful country. I have enjoyed every time that I've been there. I've spoken at events three or four times there and I've been asked back. And I've been to the place where the the, the, free, the, the, the previous president had, it's basically, it was like a big zoo area. And it's like a big, it's just a huge house. And they just talk bad on this guy, like he's horrible. And I look at it and then, so, you know, I have a close family member who's who works at these level four bio labs. <clears throat> One thing I did not know was that, wow, they had 20 U.S. had 23 of these bio labs all over Ukraine yeah. lined up on the border in all these different places that just happened to be where Moscow used military force and blew up those those labs. Right now, a lot of people didn't know about that until later on. And so that would be the same thing to me as like, hey. You know, Russia's putting all of these nuclear plants right along the border of Mexico. You know, eventually America's going to come in and go do something, right? So it's the same line of what you're thinking. 
And it's like for people to just to automatically think that Putin's the horrible person in all this. Well, you know, you look at all the important, you know, congressional family members who have worked in Ukraine in the oil industry. You got Romney's kid. You got John Kerry's kid. You got Pelosi's kid. You got Joe Biden's kid all working in this industry over in Ukraine. Then Trump tries to go in and, and just explore. Well, what's going on in Ukraine? Oh, impeach him. He's asking questions. Like, if you don't see what's going on on this thing, for the people who are tuning in, it's like, there's a lot that we don't know that's not being shared on your mainstream media because they don't want you to think about it. You know, I, I think the most apt historical comparison to how Ukraine has been treated by, you know, elites in our government is akin to how, you know, Roman senators treated the provinces that they conquered. And with, whereas Vice President Joe Biden is, was effectively the imperial governor of Ukraine, you know, setting up uh, his family for lucrative uh, uh, deals to basically just squeeze money out of this uh, out of this uh, region and to control the politics of it like his like his own fiefdom. I mean, you had the undersecretary of state, Victoria Nuland, basically handpick the new government after they overthrew the democratically elected president. Um, and what's what's sad is it just if at this point, at this point, after everything we've seen with our government's hand hands continually caught in the cookie jar of foreign policy these last 20 years if your instant reaction is to ask them when something like this goes wrong isn't to ask them what did you do then you haven't learned the lesson of the last 20 years because our government is always got their hand in the cookie jar when these things are going on and they and then they act innocent like they had nothing to do with it at all and of course, the media has their narrative and they just, you know, they stirred up people against Trump, you know, calling him, oh, you're a reality TV star. But they don't want to look at at this, you know, where Zelensky is dancing around to Beyonce in high heels. Uh, instead, they're lifting him up as, you know, the savior over there. And look, I think that there's bad things happening uh, on both sides, right? I'm uh, I'm opposed to. I ain't gonna war. lie, though, Joel. I, it would be hilarious if there was video of Trump dancing like that. I, <laughs> that I'm sure there's a deep fake hilarious. somewhere. Right? You uh, count on it. Uh, I, I, I think I, I, I'm I'm I gotta be honest. I'm not I'm not one to criticize that. I I <laughs> when I was a professional actor in New York City, I had a Vita Coco uh, commercial I was in that my opponents regularly bring up uh, over the last ten years. Uh-oh. It's, between, it's, a, it's a hypocrisy. Men dancing in, in Brazilian uh, swimsuits. So it's the hypocrisy that they're calling out on one but, side, but not on the other. That's but, what bugs me. Yes, yes, cer- cer- certainly, certainly. Um, so, so I won't hold that against Zelensky, but but he certainly could be, you know, and I, I will say I, I don't know Zelensky's heart or his mind. Mm-hmm. I do kind of, I do think it's interesting that he was elected as someone who was going to work towards um, trying to bring balance back to kind of the idea of Ukraine as a bridge between the East and the West, not being dominated by one or the other. But as I understand it, the, the very far right neo-Nazi faction that our government empowered um, uh, in the coup of 2014 is so, has, was basically so powerful when Zelensky came in that, um, he, 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 he literally kind of had a gun to his head, uh, in mm. terms of how he had to respond to Russia and our government wouldn't back him up on seeking peace. So in some ways, like, I, I don't know his heart in his mind, but there's a scenario where 
um, in some ways he's been really pushed to this and then has really committed to it. I mean, obviously, you know, um, it's just it's just a terrible situation all around. And our government uh, and the British government, by by preventing all peace talks at the start of this and basically seeking to use Ukraine as a proxy war like Afghanistan was used in the 1980s to basically they still won't do they still won't talk peace like they've said multiple right. times let's let's just figure it out okay right. you want Crimea okay you want Donbass region whatever right. let's go to the table and come and get an agreement and they're like no 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 we don't which tells you they don't want an agreement right right the goal is not freedom and democracy for Ukraine the goal is to bleed the Russians dry and to use the Ukrainians as cannon fodder for that effort so uh for all the for all the um the claims that the 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 thing to do is to you know stand with ukraine in this war it's like that's not to the benefit of the ukrainian people the thing to do is to try to find a, a peace yeah do you uh i, I want to jump to blockchain here but just a quick opinion do you feel if trump were president that we'd be in this war um i don't know it's hard to say uh, I certainly think that Trump um, Trump has more of that crazy man like uh, uh, <laughs> a thing where I'm sure Vladimir Putin would have maybe thought a little bit more about what might Trump actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, if it didn't but happen, then it would probably happen in 2025. Like as soon as, right. as, soon as the next person's in, like they, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll but, start trucking again. But I will give this to Trump, and I can criticize him on many things, and certainly he funneled weapons into the war in Ukraine, which I think was a total foreign policy blunder that's contributed to this. But at the same time, I will hand it to Trump. Trump had a carrot and a stick approach. Like, he was not afraid to use the stick and to be very loud and, like, you know, whack whack you, but he was always open to making a deal. And this administration is is, – it's mind-boggling. That they won't even look to diplomacy. There's, there's no art way out of this. Yeah. There's no art to their deal. Let's, uh, let's bounce. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk about that. I got a good tie-in here, Joel, between the two. It's a nice merger, because you know they put the sanctions on Russia, right? And they go, oh, we're going to destroy the ruble. And then what's ended up happening is now yeah. China and Russia are working together. The new BRICS seems to be becoming stronger and stronger by the day, as today it just said that Mexico has agreed to discussions about joining BRICS, right? So Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, Mexico, Iran, like so all these countries. And so now, you know, one of the things that that, uh, Russia was working on and have have been doing is maybe creating a gold-backed ruple and then creating maybe even the crypto version of that gold-backed ruple. And so it seems that they're using, it's like we're in this big geopolitical chess match right now and we've almost backed ourselves in the corner unwilling, unwittingly. Yeah, I mean, it was the stupidest thing in the world to push Russia and China into the same corner with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this was... Uh, and so, yeah, here, here, here we are. They've formed an alliance against us, these two major world powers. I guess the realist school of foreign policy had always suggested we should partner with China to oppose Russia or partner with Russia to oppose China. And it seemed like for the longest time we had our two major political factions couldn't agree which one to do. And so we decided to make enemies out of both of them. And now right. they're allied against us. And we've got the, the worst of the all dragon. situations. 
Right. Here we go. And now you have, I mean, India, a rising economic power is um, totally ignoring our, the, the sanctions the U.S. has put, put on Russia. They're finding it a great time for economic opportunity to buy their oil and resell it into European markets. Um, you have Saudi Arabia that's turning turning away from us. That's relying with uh, working with China to negotiate new diplomatic relations with Iran. Um, things are deteriorating really quick, and it's 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 clear that there's a there's a shift away from this unipolar moment that we've been in since the fall of the of uh, of the Berlin Wall, and and we're becoming a multipolar world. And I worry that um, the leaders of our government who have squandered the opportunity of this unipolar moment by with just rampant militarism and racking up so much debt on the American people and destroying the value of, of what was the reserve currency of the world and still is for now, but things seem to be shifting away. There's just no, there's no sense of awareness and they just keep doubling down. And it seems inevitable that, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the U S dollar, but, I, I can't imagine it, it, it's global reserve currency. The global reserve currency status is going to maintain for very much longer. Well, there's this thing called Bitcoin, apparently uh, that's revolutionary. And uh, you've been reading about it. This on your Twitter stream, reading the Bitcoin standard and uh, working on some bills to bring before the financial services committee in the main Senate. What is your, tell us about your relationship with Bitcoin. When did you discover this and uh where are you now on this journey well i i wouldn't claim to be the biggest expert because i know many people who are real experts on on bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain who could talk circles around me um but i've been i've been exposed to bitcoin since very early on i remember i think it was back in like 2013 going to the new hampshire liberty forum and someone you know, was like telling us all about this new Bitcoin thing. And I thought, oh, that sounds cool, I guess. They gave me like five cents worth of Bitcoin. I had it on my phone. Years later, I checked on it. It was worth $10. And I thought, you know, darn, I should have <laughs> should have acted sooner. <laughs> um, but we've all been there. But, uh, you know, in 2014, I was the first uh, state. I was the first candidate in the state of Maine to take Bitcoin donations. And actually, the Maine Ethics Commission had to write new rules uh, for how political candidates could accept contributions in Bitcoin. Um, more candidates have done that since. And um, this go around, I'm sponsoring some legislation. Well, one around elections, actually, to use blockchain as a way to um, store the digital images of paper ballots in our state. So when you go and you vote. And the digital image could just be uploaded to the blockchain so that anyone who wanted to count the votes for themselves can just go and count the votes for themselves. Um, so that's that's a bill I have. And that's not directly Bitcoin, but this, you know, that's blockchain. Dude, that's a great, great use case, man, because it's actually taking the image of the ballot, uploading it and then letting everybody else do the counting if they want. It would seem to be really hard to cheat if they're doing it that way. There's been other ways where people have talked about blockchain voting and it's just not viable that solution sounds pretty good yeah it's radical transparency and the great thing is is it doesn't change anything for the voter you still fill out a paper ballot you still mm -hmm. turn it in exactly as before all we're doing is we're adding a step that at a certain point the digital images are uploaded to the blockchain they're already creating the digital images those scantron machines 
create a di di digital image and that's what they count. So mm. if you just up upload Dude. all of them to the blockchain, now you have a situation where any member of the public who wants to count the votes for themselves can. And if you see something fishy, you have better grounds to ask for an official recount. And I think that degree of transparency could help restore some faith in, in, our, in, our, in our elections. I love it. But not likely to happen. And there's reasons that's not likely to happen because there is corruptness <laughs> at the highest levels in our government. So I wonder from, from where you sit, uh, in in Maine, politically, are some of your you know uh, associates on the same page with you? What is the current composition of of uh, Maine politically? And you know, are you finding mm. a lot of nodding heads or a lot of opposition? Well, over the last um, really since the Tea Party, so what would that be? The last twelve years, mm -hmm. Maine's been very much a purple state, and that we ha had two terms of Republican governor. Now we're under a Democrat governor. The controlled legislature has swung back and forth. But right now we're under total Democrat control. And um, so that comes with its own challenges. Uh, but to speak to the Republican caucus, uh, I find that in the Senate, I, I don't know that a lot of my colleagues, you know, they agree with me on some things, but I'm sure on a lot of other things, they think I'm pretty crazy. Um, and maybe I'm a little crazy. I'm crazy for liberty. Um, but in the House of Representatives, the Republican caucus. And of course, the House of Representatives, we have term limits in Maine. And so there's kind of this um, can serve four terms in the House and then you can graduate on to the Senate. I skipped the House and went right to the Senate. But a lot of people. So in the Senate, you tend to have people who have been in politics longer, whereas in the House tends to be a lot more rebellious and a lot more kind of fresh, fresh blood and new ideas, people coming in. And uh, the House Republicans have been I mean, boy, they, they were strongly opposed to the Ukraine uh, war mm -hmm. resolution. I was incredibly impressed with the boldness of so many there. And I think that there's um, there's a really kind of this new wave of Republican legislators coming up who are very much influenced. I'm not going to say they're carbon copies of, but they're influenced by Ron Paul and what he um, basically tried to teach the Republican Party. Uh, during his his two runs for president in 2008 and 2012. And so that gives me encouragement that over the 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 medium to long run, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, people who understand monetary policy, understand the warfare state and aren't just swallowing the establishment orthodoxies that have been shoved down our throats for so long. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So you're up there. You're doing a lot of great stuff. Um, you know, I think worldwide, or at least in America, cannabis is gaining a lot more traction just on that front as well. And then you also have legalized hedgehog ownership. I don't even know what that means. Like Sonic the Hedgehog? Is that, <clears throat> are we talking about the same kind of hedgehog? Yeah, it used to be you needed the same amount of paperwork to own a hedgehog as you needed to get a tiger. Uh, and there really? was a, a sixth grade student, because I, one of my things I loved doing was going visiting, um, a lot of the schools and working with classes and doing like mock legislature exercises. Uh, and there was a sixth grade student who said she wanted to be able to own a hedgehog as a pet. And I looked into the issue a little bit more and I thought, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Maine was the only state in the region that didn't allow it. Uh, it didn't make any sense because they're tropical creatures. So they're, they're not really, there's no risk of them being an invasive species that could disrupt their local ecosystems. So I brought the whole sixth grade class up to Augusta and <laughs> presented the bill with them. And I thought, you know, it's not, it's not totally uncommon for 
the legislators to bring up like an elementary school class to propose a bill. But it's usually something totally frivolous, like an act to like decide the state dog. It's like, all right, it doesn't actually do anything other than we can point to and say, hey, the, the state dog. But here you had a sixth grade student who was actually asking for freedom. And I thought that right. should be rewarded. And they're never going to forget that. Like that moment to Absolutely. them, like that class of sixth graders that went to the, whoa, like that, that's like a Mr. Was it Mr. Smith went to Washington or whatever it was that one <laughs> Jimmy movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so right now, you know, we're seeing this current administration, the government um, not regulate crypto in a speedy way, right? This they're they're regulating through enforcement, um, and we're seeing stuff come out that makes us think, hey, they might really lay down the muscle on uh, on cryptocurrency and NFTs and all. Uh, as it is, we're chasing innovation offshore. What happens to Bitcoin, and what happens with U.S. citizens that want to use crypto? If uh, the government says, nope, you got to use our digital dollar, can't yeah. use this Bitcoin stuff, can't hold these in your in a wall, can't have a wallet, can't use exchanges. Yeah, it's hard to know what exactly could happen. I mean, there are days I wish I had, you know, won one of my two federal races so that I could be in Washington, D.C. fighting directly fighting against these policies. But there's still a lot we can do at the state levels to try to indirectly fight and to promote independence. Um, so, uh, we can, you know, we, we can make sure that we are taking proactive steps to, uh, to try to make it difficult for the federal government to institute a central bank digital currency by throwing every obstacle that we can, as far as our state laws across the country are. Um, I know I have, um, I have legislation in that. I know this isn't Bitcoin related, but I have a lot of legislation in around gold and silver and trying to get the sales taxes off. I'm kind of an all of the above kind of guy. I know that there can be a lot of like fierce wars, you know, between like Peter Schiff and like all the Bitcoiners about like whether it should be gold or Bitcoin. I, I, I like owning a little bit of everything personally. Um, mm -hmm. But but there are so many ways that our, 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 our policies on the state level through uh, could be tax policies or, or, or legal tender policies can erect barriers to try to fence us into the U.S. dollar and to keep us from wandering into uh, into competing currencies that retain their value. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm very actively looking at what can we do on the state level. I've got a bill to create uh, special depository institutions like Wyoming passed in recent years, uh, mm. basically cryptocurrency banks. Um, though I'm still working out the details on that. Um, but there, there are a number of things we can do on on the state level to try to exert our independence from the Federal Reserve. Let me ask this, because, you know, back so back when uh, Andrew Jackson got rid of the central bankers. Right. And then there was that period of time of 50 yeah. years. -ish. His proudest accomplishment on his deathbed. His proudest accomplishment. Well, bef before that or whatever in that time period, like. You would have like, oh, here's the Bank of North Carolina's dollar. Here's the West Virginia, Central West Virginian dollar. And here's this dollar. And and like there was no centralized currency. How do you imagine a world where maybe the you, here's the, you know, I, I think like 
stable coins inherently are couldn't be good unless they're all backed up by a shitty bank like we saw with SVB, right? In, in kind of teetering USDC a bit. What about a, a gold and silver backed stable coin that's from the state of Maine? Like that that could be interesting to me. And if I wanted to invest in a Maine stable coin, like I live in Puerto Rico, I could buy that token and utilize that. It's a form of create its own economy around that to decouple ourselves from the big giant that it looks to me like I'm hearing today, the freaking Deutsche Bank is, is on the verge of collapse now. And so like what happens when all these big banks all around the world start collapsing and we get this mandatory central bank digital currency? We don't want that. So we have to move, we have to be agile to come up with alternative solutions. And I think the states that figure that out sooner are going to be better off in the long run. Yeah, it's like you read my mind, actually, or maybe you read one of my bills because I have a bill in. Actually, it's still being drafted, and it's a the a big one I'm I'm bringing to hmm. in Maine. We call it the Health Coverage Insurance and Financial Services Committee, and the bill and this bill tries to tackle it. Hit a few birds with one stone. It charters a state bank. First of all, uh, that state bank would hold gold reserves. And issue crypto tokens on the Bitcoin block uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain uh, mm. that are that that are redeemable with one with a 100 percent reserve requirement redeemable for gold at the bank. So you would have a a state backed gold um, decentralized cryptocurrency that I would imagine could have could have demand across the entire world. In fact, I think I heard recently that someone in Texas has filed similar legislation, but mm-hmm. also serves a dual purpose for those who are interested. Uh, the bank serves a, another purpose as well for those who are interested in the cannabis industry, because we have one of the cannabis industry has become one of our biggest industries in Maine, since we have a very robust medical and adult use programs. And the problem is it's a completely unbanked industry because of federal uh, federal laws. Private banks and private credit unions are afraid to open accounts with cannabis businesses because they're afraid the federal government will come in and retaliate against them. And there's mm-hmm. two primary ways the federal government can do that. They can yank their charter if they're federally chartered, or they can mess around with their ability to access FDIC insurance. But here's the thing. Not only would a state bank have sovereign immunity, which protects us from being bullied to some degree by the federal government in the same degree that a state bank would, I'm sorry, a, a private bank would, but also... Uh, if you operate on 100% reserves and you're not a fractional reserve bank, so that means, I'm sure you know, but for some of your listeners, that means you put your money in there, it's there, and the bank charges you a fee to warehouse it, but they're not taking your money out and loaning it at interest in order to uh, to try to you know turn a profit and then telling you that your money's there, you can take it out at any time. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's what's leading to a lot of the bank runs that we have going on right now is fractional reserve banking. Um, so if you have 100% reserves, you don't need FDIC insurance, right? Because a run on the bank is impossible if you have 100% reserves. Imagine so, that, a reserve that's actually a reserve. That's, right. You can't do that. And so you can have, uh, so this can be an institution that increases people's access to gold and a a a, a, a cryptocurrency backed in gold allows businesses that are legally operating within our state laws, but the federal government is being obstinate about, it allows them to have access to banking. And uh, that's something I'm, I'm bringing forward later this year. 
for that yeah. to uh, to work. I love that. Just the effort of that right there. That's beautiful. Wouldn't wouldn't you have to eliminate paper trading then of gold and silver in order for them to have their true value that you're backing? Hmm. Uh, so, so break that down for me a little bit more. Well, I mean, there's like what five hundred times more gold and silver being traded on paper than is actually in supply, yeah. right? Which it's is like how Com Comex is doing something. It's weird. It's like. For, for every one ounce of silver, there's like 250 ounces of paper silver. That's complete BS. For every yeah. ounce of gold, there's like 525 times as much fake gold than there is actual gold. So really, the price of gold should be $100,000 an ounce or more, really. Yeah. If there was ever a run on actual physical silver and gold, the price would go ba -ba -ba boom. Yeah. Sounds like it's a good buying opportunity to get real, <laughs> real, uh, real gold, physical gold and silver. You can buy it at a discount now. Cause not financial advice, just saying. But <laughs> I have a big, we, we're both big fans of the coins. Uh, we think coins are cool, and and uh, always, you know, if we were going to give advice to people, it would be age old advice: is that diversifying your portfolio is never a bad thing. Because if you put all your eggs in one basket, then all those eggs can break. So. You know, I think the new one is uh, gold, Bitcoin, and bullets. Mm. Is the new is the web is the currencies of the future and a Rolex. Yeah, I think bullets and Rolex retain their oh, value. Good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we uh, we want to respect your time, Senator, and really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, thanks for uh, fighting the fight there up in the corner of the country. You're uh, you're all the way up there, and I understand why you'd be concerned about Ukraine and Russia too, because you're closer than any other state to what's going on there you know nu nuclear war isn't going to spare anyone so wherever yeah. you are we should all be concerned absolutely well, thanks well, for coming you're on. our new main man just so you know oh nice i like that but don't take my crypto my achy bakey crypto <laughs> it didn't rhyme at all that was all really right. shitty chat but gpt okay. is is not a great song <laughs> i didn't tell it to rhyme very well yeah yeah, you got to yeah, tell it rhyme better, Chat GPT. Yeah, uh, great stuff from Senator Brakey, and uh, glad to see that you know he doesn't give a f. He is just gonna speak his mind and say how things are, uh, regardless if the uh, the masses are going to agree with mm -hmm. him. You know, there's a lot of bought people in uh, in Congress in these you know state and federal level. Just well, and he was this close to winning it from the state of Maine to being a Maine senator, which, you know, his his mentality would be better served, I think, at the national level. Mm -hmm. But it was it was a great honor to chat with the guy. The guy's really sharp. He's got great ideas. I'm totally proud of the way this guy's handling himself and handling business and trying to to uh, foment a future that is good for the residents of Maine. He's doing some really great stuff over there, and hopefully the rest of uh, the Maine people over there get with the program and begin to understand what's going on. A lot of times, you know, we, we, we heard this past week about TikTok. You know, the CEO came this past week, and it's Congress was talking to him. They're just, they just don't know what the hell's going on, and they're the ones that's supposed to be legislating crypto. They're the ones that's going to supposed to be paying attention to what the hell's happening with AI. Like, a lot of these senators and Congress people have no freaking idea. They're so busy dividing us all and being assholes that they don't actually worry about the key issues that are uh, that, that are is that are pressing to us. I know. You know country. when we're when uh, the constituents are getting ready to vote, we should just be asking them straight up, "What experience do you have in being an asshole?" 
because uh, that's going to be really important that uh, that that's what you do up there. That's what most people are when they're in the big office. They're all about themselves. And let's see how narcissist on a scale of one to 10, uh, future Senator, how narcissistic are you? Yeah. Like, how in the pockets of the lobbyist are you? Because we want to, you know, who, who I don't remember who said it. Somebody said it years ago where Congress people should wear their suits like they're NASCAR. So we know who the hell right. is paying them. So we With know who's logos. sponsoring them. I like that. Well, we like you guys. Regardless, we're glad that uh, you're here, whether you're watching and or listening. Appreciate your reviews. Five stars with funny is best of all, because we'll we'll read those perhaps on the show. And of course, check out our other shows. We've got the Nifty Show. We've got the Web3 Show and we've got the Bad AI Show. You can see the entire universe that is bad media at our new website badmedia.io you can be all right let me see all the things these guys are into let me i want to see the nft projects i want to see the audios i want to see the videos i just cannot get enough of right. travis and joel and zach and chris and i want to see all the things they're into badmedia.io is the place you know i don't know it's not really tooting or my own horn or your own horn, but it's like seeing it all in one place is pretty awesome. Like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing over the last five, six years. And, you know, wow. So you can go through and if you click on, go scroll all the way down, you get to the NFT part, click on those different packs and go in and look at some of those NFTs. We've created some pretty cool things. By the way, speaking of tooting our own horn, I will right now because readwrite.com, which is a, an old um, uh, publication on the internet. Uh, Brad Anderson did a story this week, the top seven AI podcasts that you need to hear now. In fact, for visual purposes, I will share the screen for those of you who are watching. And uh, he he goes and talks a lot about why AI is important. And the uh, first one here is this uh, Sam Charrington. I've not heard of this. I need to check it out. The TWIML AI podcast stands for this week in machine learning. Um, and so he's done 630 weekly episodes. This guy's been at it for a while. Uh, we're pretty new to it. I think we've got six episodes in the can right now, but the bad AI show uh, is picked up on here. Uh, next, the pair take a fun laid back approach to new technology, explaining clearly and wittily. Is that a word? The latest developments in artificial intelligence and its practical effects think of the twimlai podcast as a stanford lecture and the bad ai show is the lounge next door yeah come yeah. hang out at the lounge yeah. with Joel and Travis. it's the hookah lounge um <laughs> after about five whiskeys there you go bunch of other shows in here as well probably worth checking out ai podcast data skeptic ai and business podcast the marketing ai show that is a great one matter of fact we need to have the uh we need to have paul reitzer on to talk about that, I believe Paul's yeah, Paul Wright is the one that's doing that. He's been talking. He actually runs the uh, Marketing AI Institute, and he's been talking about marketing and AI for a very long time. He is somebody we should chat with sometime. Absolutely, there you go, Paul. The call's been put out, put out to you, producer Lisa. Let's get him for the show. And anyway, uh, that's enough tooting our own horn. I think uh, we're going to go after the show. Got a little tooting to do because we just hate. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Until then, stay bad.
Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Don't smell my fart, my stinky, smelly fart. I just don't think they'll understand. I saw his Instagram. It's hilarious. There was this big old French bulldog climbs into this. So there's this, there's like this, it was like a bed, but it's like a covered bed. And there's like a, like a little hole you can go through. And so there's two cats in there. The bulldog goes in, turns around, farts, and then one cat pops its head out. Then the other cat pops their head out. Like, good Lord, I need some air. And then he farts again. They look at him, and then they both climb out. And they're like, how dare you? <laughs> and then the dog just smiles real big, and then he goes to sleep. Should be a, like, It should be followed up at the end with the Greta Thunberg meme where she's going, how very dare you, sir? How yeah. You? No, it's like he, the dog was so happy and proud of himself. He was like, hell yeah, I got them out of here. I didn't have to bite them. Speaking of biting them, my dog has killed now six lizards in the past three days wow she killed three more she killed killed four in 24 hours and she killed one yesterday and she's got another one today that's cornered on the ropes does she have like one of those little counters on her her hip she's she gets mad because what i'll do is i got this big pole with like a loop and then i'll put it around its neck the one they're dead once i'll let her keep them around until the flies start flying around them because i don't want that stench so i'll grab it and then i'll go Fling it way back into the back in the forest back there. So I had to get rid of three of them. So she has to catch more now. So she's doing her business. Crazy. Tuki, the wild Puerto Rican lizard hunter.